Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today marks a milestone for Tiffany. Tiffany, you've gotten some real exercise outside in the Roman sun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How do you feel? I feel tired. (laughs) I'm just so... Claudio and I went out for a walk in the center of the city today for the first time since I can tell you the exact day. It was March 8th, two months ago. Rome has slowly, slowly, slowly started to open up. We can go into the center of town. I wasn't sure if we could, but it turns out we can for specific reasons. And yeah, we walked for about three hours. So stay tuned Thursday because I will be uh, sharing with you some sounds that I captured and some of my own reactions in the moment to walking through an empty city. So you'll hear more about that on Thursday on our mini episode. But I will say that it was kind of crazy. It's definitely busier now than it was last week. I mean, that's it's obvious when before it opened up. It's much, much busier, I'm sure. I didn't see it before, so I can't know. And they were reporting on NPR, your very own Sylvia Pajoli was reporting that the cobblestones have been walked on so little that there's actually grass growing through them. I know, I saw that. It's insane. It's insane. Some parts of the city were quite busy, like Piazza Venezia was pretty bustling. But what I noticed most of all was that the vehicles that are out are, are almost all service vehicles, like vans making deliveries, trucks making deliveries, buses, police cars, people who are working, really. So very few people just out for a drive, it seemed. And yeah, there were some people out, but you know, it wasn't like what I kind of expected was, you know, the entire city bursting out of their homes and running into the streets. And that clearly is not what happened. And we kind of were running late this morning. I wanted to go like first thing in the morning, like 8 a.m., That did not happen, not even close. We didn't get to Piazza di Spagna until about 11 a.m. And it was empty, zero people. Like there were a few people walking around, but I could easily take a photo of the Spanish steps with no one on them. Yeah, that's great. Past 11 a.m. It really does show you how much the center of Rome is really for tourists. Right, yeah. Sort of like parts of downtown Seattle, the locals don't actually really go there. Yeah. It's just all tourists. Yeah. Can I ask kind of a... A funny question. Of course. Your phase two, you you getting to go walk around is sort of our phase one because we could drive to a different neighborhood and go walk around right now. Yeah. But we've been joking that even though you can do that, your ability to roam is drastically hindered by the fact that there's nowhere to go to the bathroom. <laughs> All the stores are closed or only takeout. Like nobody's allowed inside anywhere. Did you have any problems? That's so cool, honey. That's so cool. Okay, I'm going to come in there and look at it in a minute. You keep, you keep looking at it. We ended up, the crazy thing is, we ended up having to park in a parking garage. Like, I assumed that there would be just plenty of parking. I mean, I didn't think it would be empty, but I thought, we'll find a place to park, no problem. Nothing. We couldn't find anywhere to park. And we circled in several areas for about a half an hour. We finally ended up parking in a parking garage that has public bathrooms. Mm. But I assume that if we'd gone into, we did get some food to go, some takeout food at a sandwich place. And I think that if I had asked them, 
they would have let me use their bathroom because they let me walk in to order my sandwich. So I think that if, if you go into a coffee shop or a sandwich place or a restaurant that's doing takeout, I assume that if you're purchasing something there, they would let you use the bathroom. So another milestone you had this week after two months of quarantine is that you had an evening alone. <laughs> it was very brief. <laughs> but please, I mean, do tell, <laughs> because one of the other changes is that you can go visit family. So Claudio went to go visit his parents and took Aurelio with him. Yeah. And you wisely mm-hmm. stayed home. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. It was excellent. It was beautiful while it lasted. I sat out on my terrace. It was a gorgeous sunny evening. We get the afternoon sun on our terrace. So it was, uh, it was evening time, but there was like full sun. And I worked on my book. Sounds lovely. It was. It was. I had a glass of wine. It was perfect. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So we're going to save most of your report about that for Thursday because you have tape from the streets that I'm not fabricating. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, if you want to hear Katie's fabricated recreation of Rome, which is so believable, so unbelievably believable that we fooled several of our regular listeners who thought we had pulled an episode from the past. Oh, really? That's great. Yeah, I had that comment. I guess I didn't share that with you. You know, there is one inconsistency in that show. Of course, most of you wouldn't notice, but almost all of the tape in that show is pulled from the actual locations that we're talking about. That's impressive. Including, by the way, when we go into the coffee shop, I found audio footage of that actual coffee shop. So that is that real coffee shop. (laughs) Of course you did. Yeah, but... There is one inconsistency because there's one part where we're standing outside and you can hear birds in the background. And those birds are robins, I believe, which do not exist as far as I know in Rome. But stereotypical bird sound that I happen to have on my phone. <laughs> like, ah, who's going to really notice? So a few bird experts out there might have been raising an eyebrow. But What episode was that, Katie? 312, I think? It was called A Virtual Tour of Rome. That's Yeah, go back and listen to that if you haven't yet, because it's pretty amazing, if I say so myself. Yes. And for those of us who are still in total lockdown, uh, which is money in the world, it's a good way to, quote unquote, get outside, at least in the theater of your mind. Mm-hmm. So we were going to table that till Thursday, just because I don't want to give everything away. Mm -hmm. And we kind of wanted to talk about this larger concept, which is walking around the streets of downtown Rome, empty of tourists. What does the future of travel look like? Yeah, well, that came into our heads while we were walking, because, I mean, you can't help but think of that when you're used to walking the city, especially as a, a tour guide as I am, as someone who works in a place full of tourists, as Claudio does, tourists in Rome are a constant. I mean, any big city has a lot of tourists, but places like Rome and Venice and Paris, it's overwhelming, the amount of tourists. And you get used to it, and they're fine, and we're all grateful for tourists because we live off of tourism. But you do kind of think to yourself, gosh, you know, how nice would it be to have the city to ourselves, to have Rome for the Romans just once. And in fact, back in the day, years ago, when I used to do tours of the Vatican and I basically 99% of all my friends were tour guides. I remember one of my friends and I were sitting around talking one day and we said, wouldn't it be great if there was one week a year, sometime in the middle of winter, like let's say late January, when it was illegal for tourists to come to Rome and you couldn't be a tourist in Rome. But if you live there, you can live there even if you're a foreigner. Wouldn't it be great for Rome, just for that one week a year for Rome to belong to the Romans. It's so crazy because I've gotten my wish 
several years later. And now it might be years. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely going to be months. But it's incredible. And you realize, you know, like I was just saying, how much Rome is a place for the tourists. You know, places like the Spanish Steps. It's interesting because even historically, Rome is a place that pilgrims come to. It's almost like tourists have been coming to Rome for nearly its entire history. Tourists before tourists was even a before thing. tourism was a thing. Yeah, there was um there was a guidebook called Mirabilia Urbis. I want to say something like that. It's like some Latin expression. It was a medieval guidebook for pilgrims coming to the city, and it explains some of the wonders of the city. Tourism has been a thing here forever. I mean, even in ancient Roman times, I think it was less tourism as it was, you know, just people coming to Rome for opportunity or things like that. But definitely since Christianity was a thing, um, people have people have been coming here. And there were definitely some centuries in the so-called dark ages. Honey. Who's that person in the background? <laughs> that's my son. He's sounding something out by the sound of it. He's re- trying to read read a word. So. Oh, it's so educational. But he's just doing it very loudly. He's doing it very, very loudly. Honey, can you do that more quietly, please? What they say, yeah. So um, people came to Rome as a pilgrimage site, uh, especially during the holy years. Yes, there were several centuries there during the darkest of the dark ages, in which probably nobody was coming. But aside from that short, you know, short period, a couple hundred years. Beside from that, yes, Rome has always been a major tourist attraction. However, tourism is so huge now. It's. Can you look at this Roman ancient Roman book? Can I look at it later? No, look at it. Honey, I'm doing something. Can you look at that? I want you to see it. Okay, bring it to me and show me one little thing. Sorry, Katie. It's a really cool book. What can you say? It's cool. It's an ancient Roman lift the flap book. But I mean, like, for example, like you said, people have been coming to Rome forever. There was the whole golden age. What was it called? The Grand Tour. The grand tour going on in the 1700s and the 1800s and the early 1900s. And, you know, there was a Dolce Vita in the 60s and people were coming to Rome and it was this, you know, very stylish place, the Dolce Vita, all of that. But it was a whisper compared to the mass tourism of today. What we really have today, I mean, not today, but let's say up until a few months ago, is mass tourism, just absolute mass tourism because tourism for good or for ill, like you can say this is great, you can say this is terrible, you can say this is both. Uh, You know, I'm not making any judgments, but tourism has become available to everyone, almost, I mean, in the Western world at least. And airline travel is so inexpensive comparatively to what it was in the 70s, even the, the 80s, even the 90s. It's just so much cheaper. And Things like um, cruise ships make it so accessible. You can see, you know, 15 European countries <laughs> in a week. Yeah. No, maybe not a week, but <laughs> yeah. it makes it so easy. So, you know, even grandma can come, you know, because you don't even have to walk around very much. And, and while it is an incredible ex- opportunity for people of all walks of life to be able to travel internationally, the result is that places like Rome are overcrowded. They're full of people. Museums like the Vatican museums are so incredibly crowded that you can barely move. Now, some of the responsibility of that goes to the people who are running these places too. So I'm not putting all of the responsibility on the tourists themselves. 
people who run the Vatican museums, for example, like they let too many people in, they just do. I personally believe they should control the number of people who are allowed in because once you're inside, it's, it's an inferno. It's, it's, it's not even, there's not even words to describe what it's like in there on a really busy day. Is it similar to uh, right now as I'm, we're taping and I'm looking at you, uh, Aurelio keeps butting up against you and uh, like <laughs> sitting on your arm, etc. Uh, is it sort of like that? Uh, well, no, because, um, because he's, uh, he's really um, sweet smelling and uh, adorable and soft. But <laughs> As opposed to the typical tourist. <laughs> exactly. Curious, since Claudio works in the Vatican all the time, in these packed rooms, these boiling hot packed rooms with tourists, how is he feeling now? Obviously, they're not opening up to tourists, but is he feeling gun-shy about being in that kind of a situation at this point? Aurelio, please, please. He wants to listen. Um, he is not really worried from what I understand. He's pretty calm about the whole situation. I think part of that is maybe because we don't have any tourists right now. So anyone who's going to be coming to the Vatican is going to be people from Lazio, from this region. And... We don't know, starting May 18th, when they open the museums, what kind of other loosening of restrictions there are going to be. Maybe they're going to say, okay, if you're anywhere in, in Italy, you can come to Rome hey, right now. Can you talk? <laughs> testing, testing. Hello, Aurelio. Can anybody hear me? Is anyone out there? Uh, uh, Hello? Yeah. Yeah? What, what, what are you up to? Uh, what are you doing? Dying these two soldiers. He said, drawing these two soldiers. I don't know if you got that. Oh, I didn't get that. You're drawing two soldiers? Yeah. How are you drawing two soldiers while you're talking to me? Uh, when I'm stop talking. Oh, you're going to stop talking? Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks for talking. I'd love to see your picture when you're done with it. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, we don't know what's going to change, but right now we're all just taking it as it goes and we're being careful we're wearing our masks, we're wearing our gloves when we need to, uh, we're washing our hands a lot, and we're keeping our social distance, we're doing all the things we're quote-unquote supposed to do. No, my, oh, no, my. oh, I got it, hang on, hang on. Hello, I'm Katie. A quick word. You rely on us to show up every week, and we depend on you to keep this show going. In a few weeks, a huge bill is coming due for us, over $400 in hosting fees and at a time when both Tiffany and I are underemployed. I know many of you are too. So for those of you who can, please support the show. You can make a donation at our website, thebittersweetlife.net, or check out all the thank you gifts and pledge to become a monthly supporter at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast. You can find all those links in the show notes. A big, big thank you to those of you who have already stepped up to try to help us pay this bill. Thank you, Inella, Donna, Emily, and Joe, for sending in a gift to help us pay this bill off. We appreciate you so, so much. And for all of you who have contributed to the show monthly for years, we are extremely grateful to you, as always. So if you love the show and you want to help, Find those donate links in the show notes. A little goes a long way. Now, on with the show. We're back. We're back. <laughs> what you don't know is that we're back, what, four hours later? Is uh, that right? At five, least. Almost five hours later? At least, yeah. 
sometimes you got to put a kid to bed yeah. and sometimes that <laughs> takes a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that was becoming untenable to have him there during our taping, especially when the marker got on the white couch. I'll just leave it at that. Yes. Nothing like having red marker all over a white couch. It's a, <laughs> it's a stylistic choice that many parents understand. And mommy lost her mind. <laughs> So anyway, back to the topic of tourism mm-hmm. and travel in this brave new world that we're in. So when it comes to the larger picture, which we don't really know, but we can hypothesize, what do you think will be one of the biggest changes when it comes to tourism? I can only speculate. I did read in preparation for this episode, I read a few articles uh, that I had sort of seen floating around Twitter that I'd actually been too scared to read. And it was like the future of travel travel post COVID-19. And I was like, I don't even want to look at that stuff. Mm-hmm. But today I was like, no, I should read that and see like what the experts are saying. And to be honest, it was mostly about the the sort of practical side of travel, like what is airline travel going to be like? And what are the airlines going to do? And these sort of things. And it didn't really touch on sort of what I wanted to talk to you about, which is beyond what airline travel is going to be like, or what hotels are going to do to lure people in or whether cruise ships are going to be able to survive or not. But I feel like the bigger question is, is actually how people travel and whether or not they travel, is that what's going to change? Are people going to stop traveling? If airline flights become unaffordable, people won't travel. They won't travel internationally, at least, you know, the vast majority of people. And beyond the question of like, what will that do to the whole economy of tourism, which is a totally different subject, but it's like, I don't know if it may, I make sense of where I'm going with this. It's been a long day, let's just say that. Um, <laughs> but will we return to the sort of golden age, what they call, you know, the golden age of travel, like pre, I don't even what, know what the year is, but like before the huge travel boom, where not that many people traveled. You know, I don't think I even witnessed this myself, but I do think it does get busier and busier every year. And if you look at statistics even now 10 years ago it wasn't as busy as it is now as far as in general people traveling people moving around so are we going to go back to that I have no idea what do you think uh it's interesting because I've also read some articles about it and and they've been doing surveys of people and there is a vast percentage of people that when this is over immediately want to get out there now that said where are they getting out to one theory that I read was that they'll take road trips instead. Mm-hmm. I read that too. Maybe we read the same article. Yeah, which makes sense to me in a way because I think there's going to be a certain level of paranoia that lingers for a while. I mean, particularly when you have airlines talking about and airports talking about how they need to be bigger and more spread out. The airplanes need to be less tightly packed and the airports have to be larger so people have more space so they're not as on top of each other, which makes it feel like that's long-term lasting change that is going to reflect both the real concern of what it means when we're all on top of each other as far as viruses are concerned, but also the paranoia that travelers will have, Mm -hmm. the safety measures that they're going to need to see to feel like they can actually get out there. But I think the airlines themselves, I'm guessing, are going to like, once it's moderately safe and more people are moving around, they're going to be throwing deals at us left and right is what I think. So you might see a boom for a while. And then when we stop being paranoid, 
and the prices go back up, will you see it taper off again? That's that's hard to say. And, you know, people yeah. are going to have a lot less money to spend. Mm-hmm. So I think that, I don't know, it could be a long time. It could be a long time before you see, I don't know, it's hard with Rome because Rome might be one of those places that, because it's a major destination, gets packed faster than everywhere else again. But I think it would be years, if ever, that you see the surges that we saw in so many places around the world. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that that would probably be a good thing in a way, if for nothing else than the preservation of these places. Not necessarily for the education of the people. I think that travel travel has a real value also. So I hate the idea that people won't be able to go anywhere. But I don't know. Maybe it's not the worst thing. Maybe if you take a better consideration of where you actually are, we're all becoming really aware of where we are actually. Yeah. So it's possible that we might have a better appreciation for that. I totally agree with you. And I mean, I'm not saying that I have a strong opinion on this because I see both sides of the issue a lot, especially because I work in tourism and I have so many friends who work in tourism. So much of my community works in tourism in some way or in the food business. So of course, I don't want any of them or myself to suffer or people around the world. But there is a sense that you see it when you work in tourism, especially if you work in quote unquote mass tourism. If you work uh, like For example, what Claudio does when he's in the Vatican Museums and when I was a tour guide in the Vatican Museums and I did those huge group tours of people who basically found their way to my tour simply because they wanted to skip the line to the Vatican Museums, not because they had sought out a qualified tour guide to, you know, teach them something. And what you see is you see a lot of people who don't really care, who are there because... They think they need to be there. They think that they, you know, don't miss this place and they want to see it and they want to check it off their list and, you know, move on to the next thing. And they really, really don't care. They stand in line to put their hand in the mouth of truth and never go into the church, this gorgeous medieval church behind it. And sometimes (laughs) you think to yourself, would it really be a shame if those people weren't here? A, would they even really care? Yeah. I'm not talking about every traveler. I'm talking about that subset of travelers, mm-hmm. which I think are a lot of people, though. No offense to anyone, but the kind of the cruise ship people. I, for one, personally, would not be sad if the cruise industry went under because I know what it does to cities. Uh, not so much to Rome. It definitely does bring in a lot of extra tourists to the city, which just makes a city very, very busy, and the museums, particularly the Vatican. But especially in smaller towns, especially in places like Venice, I mean, cruise ships have really damaged that city and many other small cities like that because they come in and the people don't really spend any money in the town. Maybe they buy a few souvenirs, but they're not eating there and they're they're probably not dropping major cash on goods, clothing, because they don't really have time to shop. They, they have time to see a few sites and maybe buy a couple souvenirs. They're not staying in hotels. Maybe there's a port tax that helps out a little bit, but it's not the kind of tourism that a city can really survive on. So it's like all the negative aspects of tourism without the positive financial aspects. So sometimes I think to myself, 
okay, here's an example on, on a sort of smaller scale. The Vatican Museums, as I've talked about a zillion times, is totally chaotic and totally crazy and totally busy. And there's a risk to the art inside, particularly the Sist- to the frescoes on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. There is a risk. It could crack and totally fall to the ground and be destroyed simply because of too much humidity or too much heat because of the people. I've said to Claudia sometimes, maybe they should make the ticket so expensive, like 50 euros instead of what it is now, which is I think 21 with the reservation fee. It's like 50 euros. And, and your first thought is, well, hey, that's not fair because you know, that's a piece of artistic heritage that anyone should have a right to be able to see. But the truth is, if you spend what you need to spend to get to Italy, you can afford to spend an extra $50 if, 50 euros, whatever, if that site is important to you. You will go, you will skip one meal and have a slice of pizza at a you know pizza joint instead of having a sit-down dinner. You know, you will make that sacrifice if it's important to you. And if it's not, you're not going to go. You're going to say, $50, I'm not going there. I'll go somewhere else. That's what we need to sort of weed out the people who don't really care. And I know I sound probably terribly elitist right now, but it's not about denying people who really want to go. It's about sort of saying, mm, maybe I'm sort of almost blushing right now because I don't want to say something that's offensive to people. But on the other hand, I do think that the places that we have, particularly here in Europe, they were not made for this number of tourists. When they decided to open up the Vatican as a public museum in, I don't even know what year it was, sometime in the early 20th century, they could never have even imagined the amount of people that would have had the capacity to get here every single day. There was no possibility of it being like that. It wasn't built to manage that many people. Well, and I mean, the truth of the matter is, elitist or not, travel is a luxury. We, we kind of have come to think of it not that way. Yeah, we think of it as a right, almost. There's so many people in the world that don't get to travel at all. And I agree with you on the cruise ship industry, because not only is it all those things that you already mentioned, but terribly destructive to the ocean, terribly destructive from a waste standpoint. And now we know terribly destructive to uh, the health and safety of the crew much of the time, and also uh, to the health and safety of the people on board. So I know that they're going to try to do things to fix that. But it is kind of one of those things that maybe shouldn't be fixed. I mean, the only reason I like it at all is that it allows people who are less mobile to travel. But I feel like it's also an example of just gluttony. Too cheap of travel for the amount of damage it causes. I don't know. That's how I've always felt about it. I've always said that I would never take a cruise. And people have always said that I'm wrong and I should and it's an absolute blast. But... There are some times when I look at things that we do, stuff people do, and I think this is an example of excess that does not need to be happening. There's a lot of examples of that, but the cruise industry seems to be a glaring example of that. And it's not like you couldn't get a smaller boat. Well, they do. They do have smaller boats. The problem is that they can't make as much of a profit of course <laughs> on the smaller boat. That's one of the real um, dangers of life in travel is going to be like after this virus is that to make it pencil out, things are going to have to eventually get really expensive. That's what I'm saying. It'll be, it will, there'll be no more mass tourism unless it's a road trip. Yeah, it'll be cheap at first and then, and then you'll have to be like a millionaire. Well, yeah, and I mean, <laughs> to be honest, to be selfish, I'm, I'm really worried myself. Obviously, I love to travel. But what I 
what I th- what I've been thinking lately is like, will I be able to go back and forth between my two countries? Yeah. Will I be able to go to the United States once a year? I don't. I haven't even gone once a year on average. I've been going sometimes once a year, sometimes every two years. That's my country. Yeah. And what does that mean for your life? Yeah. Do I have to sit and be like, okay, Claudio, what do we want to do? Do we want to, do we want to live in America? I mean, it's like it's one thing when you, when you have this mobility of okay, well, you know, we'll go to the states this summer, and you know that'll be our quota of Americanness for the year, and then we'll come back here because where our life is here now. But when when you have to choose where your life is one hundred percent, you know, I think about my ancestors who came in nineteen. What are you kidding me? You can lie here, but you cannot say a word. Let me get my book. Let me get my book. <laughs> Is my child, okay? <laughs> Did you say salve? <laughs> Don't say a word. You already have done enough damage. Salve. Salve is a word, okay? I told you not to say a word. Come here. Salve. Would you like to introduce who's with us right now? <laughs> this is Aurelio. <laughs> this is a little naughty redheaded child who refuses to go to sleep tonight. He really, really wants to be a part of this show. Let's just admit it. You always say that he doesn't like to be on tape, but he really wants to be in this episode. I think he must, he must have a really strong opinion on, on travel. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, his life is just starting, and he might be like, I want travel to be impossible in my lifetime. What about my ancestors? Yeah, no. yeah. But what I was saying was, I would think about my ancestors who, who came to the United States from Italy in 1919, I think, and who knew when they took off that they'd never be able to go back again. Yeah. And they made that decision and then, okay, this is it. It's no turning back sort of a thing. And when you move to Europe or anywhere, when you move abroad in this day and age, you, you do so with the knowledge that, hey, if things don't work out, I'll just move back home. Hey, Katie, want to see something? No, she doesn't want to see something. <laughs> <laughs> I want to finish this episode. <laughs> so bad. It's going to be so hard to edit. <laughs> Aurelio. She, you've showed see, it to Mama. You see? She can't you see, the see, even see it. I see. It's very. Oh, there's soldiers there. Yep. Pretty great. You see these guys? Yes. Yes. Okay, Claudio. Ormai. Ormai. Cinque minuti. So the kid has been packed back off to bed. We'll see if this lasts. Sorry. My ancestors left Italy and moved to the United States by ship in the early 20th century, and they knew that they would never be able to come back. I just think about how different that is for us as expats. You know, we move abroad and we think, I'm going to try something. I'm going to, you know, so many of our listeners have written, written to us and told us that they've said, you know, I'm, I'm just going to move to Italy. I'm just going to give it a try or I'm going to move to France or I'm going to move to China. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just move back. But will that even be a possibility if none of us can afford to fly or, you know, more than once a decade? I mean, God, I don't want to think about it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because it does make you think, if it were to get that bad, it does make you think that, yeah, you would have to do research. There's a lot less seat of the pants in that scenario. You know, like your ancestors, they had to decide they were doing this for a particular reason. I mean, a lot of the listeners have a particular reason, like they go abroad because of a job. But if it was that hard to move, if you moved for a job and might not be able to get back for 10 years... It's a much bigger decision. Well, let's hope that it won't, it won't get to that. I can't imagine just having to decide now, like, 
okay, I'm going to live in Italy always and never go to the States or almost never. Or I'm going to live in the States and almost never get to go to Italy. I mean, it would be a tragedy on either way for, for our, you know, our parents, for Aurelio's grandparents. Mm-hmm. One of the pair of them wouldn't, would never get to see us. And for us as well, and for Aurelio growing up, not to get to know that other country. I, now I'm getting like upset, actually. Yeah. yeah, let's too far down the rabbit hole. Yeah, let's hope. You know, I did read in one of these articles that they think that things will pretty much be back to normal. And that when I say normal, I mean, you know, not just sort of like things have slightly adjusted, but like back to true normal around 2022. I know that sounds like a long time away, but really, when you think of wars and things like that, and how long wars last, and it doesn't seem quite so bad to think that by 2022, this all could be sorted. And it could be like the new normal is just as they're saying in the papers. After 9-11, it wasn't like we used to take our shoes off in line at TSA, and now we just do. Yeah, it's one of those things you deal with. There will be new things in place because we now know that this is a real possibility. Yeah. And that's that. And on that happy note, until Aurelio wakes back up, comes back in the room and takes over the show. Oh, he's still awake. I can hear him in the next room right now. Like, <sighs> yep. I don't know what he's doing up at this hour. He's angling for my job. That's what he's doing. He's trying <laughs> to take over the, the mic. He has burst into the room. <laughs> and this is why, Katie, sometimes when you say, Tiffany, I really need to tape with you right now. Can you just have Claudio put him to bed? And I'm like, hmm let's not even not try so <laughs> because this is what happens <sighs> it's a wonder our show doesn't have this problem more often today it just uh it was a perfect storm of red pens <laughs> and overtired toddler toddlers not a toddler anymore but overtired preschooler and long day and it just uh, got out of hand hopefully it added a little bit of levity to this possibly doomsday episode Mm -hmm. (laughs) and until next time this is the bittersweet life i'm katie sewell i'm tiffany parks join us again bye bye thanks to Lori lee elliott for her help managing the bittersweet life on youtube and to sarah johnson for her consultation our logo is made by jody rick at the lost laboratory with painting assistance by our muse caravaggio you can find us on instagram facebook and twitter just search for the bittersweet life podcast And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. That way we're here for you every week, both on Monday and now on Thursday. And if you review us on Apple Podcasts, we'll be grateful for you. Send us your topic ideas, questions, and voice memos. We're at bittersweetlife at mail.com or at the contact us page at thebittersweetlife.net.